from Wish TV. This is All Indiana Politics Podcast with Phil Sanchez. Unfiltered. Howie Politics and State Affairs Pro offer insider election coverage, polling, and analysis in Indiana. Our nonpartisan news and legislative tools create a winning combination pro subscribers can't live without. For all the resources you need this election season and beyond, visit pro.stateaffairs.com slash in. That's pro.stateaffairs.com slash in. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Uh, Eric Doden, the candidate, the man, I should say, vying for the Republican candidate for the next governor of our state of Indiana. Eric, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. You too, Phil. Thank you. Uh, For folks at home who maybe aren't aware of your background, let's start there. Uh, And then I want to jump into a lot of other topics. We're going to have a, a full full conversation here. So let's start with your background. Yeah, my my mom and dad uh, met at Moody Bible Institute. And when they got on with Moody, they went to Bethel. If you're familiar with Bethel, it's in in, in or near Mishawaka. Yep. Uh, And that's where they had me. So I was actually born in Mishawaka, Indiana. The the hospital has since been torn down. So I'm a little sad about that. But you know, life, life changes. Yeah. Uh, But then when I was one, my dad went to be a pastor in Butler, Indiana. So I basically grew up for the first 15 years of my life in Butler, Indiana. And then when I was 15, we moved to the metropolis of Auburn, town of 12,000 people. Uh, so I was a small town boy, and I loved it, man. It was such a great – I look back, Sandlot baseball every summer. You know, the rule was – because we didn't have phones, right? Mm-hmm. So the rule was mom said, just be home by 5. There you go. And as long as we were home by 5, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I miss those times. I do, too. <laughs> I do, too. So, okay, so that's, that was the, uh, the childhood. Take me into the, the college years and then post-college. Well, you know, I, I really did not enjoy high school. You know, Phil, I mean, it was um, I've often joked that I graduated uh, sixth in my class out of 12. (laughs) Uh, So I was deeply average and my parents were kind of worried about me. But the narrative that, you know, we had been told is like when you grow up in a small town, you need to go to college, get a degree and then go to the big city and get a job because there's not really, you know, going to be much of a future here in the small town. And so uh, I went to Hillsdale College in Michigan and Hillsdale changed my life because before Hillsdale, you know, learning was about lecture. Mm-hmm. You know, you just sit there and listen to a teacher for an hour. And for a guy like me, that was very painful. Yep. Hillsdale was very Socratic. So they would ask a lot of questions and get you engaged in thinking through why you thought what you thought, not just what to think. Yeah. Uh, and so it changed my life. And so Hillsdale College has been a big part of my, you know, growing up. And then out of Hillsdale, I went to the big city to get a job mm-hmm. with corporate America and figured out in one year, Phil, that they had more rules in my Baptist church and I could not take it. What were you doing? So I was a, a, a line leader in a production line um, with 15 people that was producing an overhead substrate for the Cadillac Eldorado in Seville. Wow. wow. So it was a very you know, intense job. You had to hit production numbers every day, but also it was a very precise job. And things would break down, and my job was to 
make sure that the trains ran on time every day. Yeah, and you can you you were done with it pretty quickly. Well, it, it was difficult, I think, in part because um, you were working 70, 80 hours a mm. week in five days, um, and then things would break down, and then you were, you know, all these rules you had to follow to even get production out, and um, I just like, man, this is just a lot of rules. Because, right. you know, in the automotive industry, it's very precise industry, and I'm an entrepreneur, a guy that likes to be creative and, and, and make deals and get things done, and of course, I didn't realize that back then. I just realized that, wow, this is not a job I'm really enjoying. Uh, so that's when I went back to law school. And then take me through that. Well, people have often asked me and joked, like, Eric, why in the world, if you don't really like rules, would you go to law school? Sure. I said, well, look, if I learn the rules, I can learn how to make sure that they don't control me with the rules. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that was kind of my philosophy. I never wanted to practice law. But a lot of my mentors and coaches had told me, look, I think law school would be really great for you for where you're going in life and what your skill set is. And we know you're not going to practice, but we still think this is going to be a benefit to you long term. Uh, and uh, they were right. Um, it really, first of all, I was afraid to death I was going to flunk Phil. I mean, I thought every minute of every day I was not deserving to be there. Yep. So I worked my tail off because I was so afraid of, of you know, not being able to finish. Right. But uh, that also means that you learn a lot. Because you work, because you put in more work. Yeah, because you put in more work. Yeah. So y you bring a mentor. I mean, is this something that you've, getting, getting to the politics of it all uh, and moving into that direction, because obviously after law school, there was, there was a career before you decided you wanted to be a politician. So was this something that you wanted to maybe, or at least thought about doing early on in your, in your 20s or when you were in law school? Yeah, I started getting interested in politics when I was 11. So when I was wow. 11, 1981, if you kind of remember, we only had four channels on TV. Yeah. And so we used to watch, I mean, I know this will be a throwback, but we used to watch like Little House in the Prairie mm -hmm. with my grandparents at night. Well, if you kind of remember what happened in 1981, Reagan gets shot and all of a sudden the TVs, every station is focused on that story. Mm -hmm. And so we're sitting there as kids, 11 year old kid, just watching you know, that story and that event. And so I started getting intrigued and that caused me to start reading the newspaper every night. Then there was the Falkland Island Wars and I, I fell in love with Margaret Thatcher, just the way that she talked. And, you know, she was a, a real philosopher, not just a po political leader. Yep. And so every night I was reading the paper, my dad would roll in and go, hey, Eric, what happened today in the news? And I'd give him a, you know, five minute rundown or 10 minute rundown. And, but you don't really necessarily think about running for office. You just, you don't have a vision for that. I'm from Butler, Indiana. Right. Like, we didn't even know who the governor was sometimes and certainly never thought we'd meet him. Sure. Uh, it wasn't till Valparaiso when I saw a mentor of mine named John Costas. So Macy and I meet at Valparaiso. Um, we meet on the basketball court uh, the first time I saw her. I know that sounds, you know, like a total Hoosier story, no, but it's very Basketball true. court, the whole, yeah. <laughs> whole nine yards. And so when Macy and I meet, um, we moved to Fort Wayne. We had four kids in four years, 10 months. Mm-hmm. And so we don't remember much about the 2000s. Right. Uh, but um, in 2007, 8, and 9, we'd be going back to see her, her parents, and we'd go through Valparaiso on the way to Wisconsin. And we began for the first time to see a small town restored. Yeah. And that's when we got the vision that we could use our skill set to restore communities all over the, you know, like that I came from, like Auburn, Butler, Fort Wayne, mm -hmm. these towns that, you know, desperately needed a bold vision. John was really the one that inspired us that it could be done. Yeah. I know I'm bouncing around a little bit, but take me um, to what you did after law school. So when I get done with law school, I, I, I uh, sort of um, 
negotiated with my wife to move to Fort Wayne so I could be part of our family business. Uh, we owned uh, a company called Ambassador Steel. Yep. And Ambassador Steel was a rebar fabricator and distributor. Uh, it was started by my dad in 1974. He was called out of the ministry into business. And, uh, and so we were um, a large fabricator and distributor of rebar. So if you don't know what rebar is, it's the, 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 the steel that you see coming out of concrete that reinforces concrete. Mm-hmm. And uh, we used to joke that we were, you know, got a little tired of all of our work being buried. <laughs> uh, but it, we would cut and bend it for a high rise or for Lucas oil field or, you know, things like that. Yeah. And then they would place it in the ground and then they would pour concrete over it and it would reinforce it. So uh, I wanted to go back and have a chance to work. And we had three or four businesses at the time. So I got to start in a very small business. Uh, it was in, in, in manufacturing and sporting goods. It was a tennis ball throwing machine company. And I got to learn, you know, business from the ground up. Yeah. And so that was kind of my first 10 years was just, you know, having kids, trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we had a, you know, we've, Macy's been my best friend um, and, and partner. Uh, and then, you know, just trying to learn business, you know, as a 27-year-old. Yeah. Okay. So, and then now you want to be a politician, or at least in 2010, you decided you wanted to be a politician. <laughs> I don't really think of it as a politician. Okay. You, know, you don't but, like that word? Well, we joke about it all yeah. the time. But, you know, I think what, what, what I think is important is, is that we, we, as all of us in our communities, have bold, visionary leaders. Uh, and um, I'm excited to be on a journey. I've met with, I've been on the road now two and a half years, met with uh, thousands of leaders across the state. And I'm excited to be on a journey to partner with these leaders to bring a bold vision to Indiana. And that's what gets me excited. Let's talk about that vision a little bit. Um, if you win, what's the first thing you do? Well, there's a couple of the first things we do. I mean, one, uh, you know, we have 2.6 million people that live in small towns. And we've never had an economic development game plan for those 2.6 million people. Mm. And I think we can bring a much more equitable, thoughtful game plan with the $1 billion that we spend in economic development a year. You know, we're proposing that 10% of that uh, will be then uh, – able to be used in small towns where 2.6 million people live and give those leaders a chance uh, to restore their communities. And so one of the things I'll be doing right away is working with the General Assembly to, uh, to make sure that, that we do that. And uh, we've had great discussions. One of the great things about putting things in writing when you have a bold vision is that it creates discussions already with people in General Assembly and in politics, uh, and they're resonating with this opportunity to allow our smaller towns, you know, hundreds of communities across Indiana to have, you know, a growth economy, uh, attract and retain their kids and grandkids. And uh, so that's going to be a pretty exciting part of our journey day one. And a pretty big one. And a pretty big one. How do you get everyone on board for something like that? Well, I think because what as I, you said, it, as you said, and I, I don't mean to interrupt you, said, you know, it, it, you can have a plan, but in order to get everybody behind you is your experience with, with business, I'm sure, probably would help with that. But a good leader can, can lead from that perspective, no? Right. Yeah. Um, so part, part of what you do is um, you, you have to paint a vision, but you also have to show that in reality can be done. And so between Fort Wayne, where we've, where we've taken Fort Wayne from 2015 to today, uh, from not ranked to the 34th best place to live in the United States, that came with a bold $650 million vision that we said that we would accomplish over 10 years. Yeah. And when people, when we announced that in 2015 with a team that we, you know, that I put together, they thought we were crazy because the most we'd ever done in Fort Wayne in 10 years is about 60 million. Mm. 
uh, when we closed about 400 million of deals in the next three to four years, that took Fort Wayne on a rocket ride. Right. And so part of what has to happen as leaders is we have to believe it can be done. Yeah. But then they can come see it. So they can come see us restoring Valparaiso, Franklin, Indiana. They can see the restoration of Van Wert, my mom's hometown. They can see, you know, what we've done in Fort Wayne. And what we've seen is when leaders come and see it, they get excited. Yeah. Uh, tell me about the last uh, couple of years since you announced. What's it been like? It's been incredible. Um, what, what I've had the privilege of doing every day for generally five days to six days a week. Now, we take Sundays off. For mm-hmm. all of you that, that want to know, I, I, I tell people all the time that, you know, you'll not see me at an event hardly ever on Sundays because we reserve that for faith, family, and friends. Uh, but, you know, five to six days a week, we would travel the state and I would meet with leaders and meet with individuals all over the state of Indiana. And, uh, you know, generally speaking, the, the conversation was really goes something like this. Tell me how things are going here in Wabash or in Franklin or in Paoli. And what do we what are you concerned about? What do we need to improve? What do we need to do? And, and we'd have a great conversation uh, about that. And we take a lot of notes. We call it a listening tour. Um, but it was, you know, about an hour with sometimes an hour and 15 minutes with each of these leaders just trying to understand their perspective and what, you know, what we could do to imp- improve, you know, life for the people of that county or that city. I have a lot I want to get to, but since you brought it up, um, I want to talk about it now is your faith is extremely strong and it's something that you're outspoken about. And that's something that I've talked to a lot of uh, politicians over the years. Some people shy away from, from that. Not you. Why? Because it's an it's a, a integral part of my life. Um, I, my grandpa was a Iowa farm boy. He was called to the ministry at 28, went to Moody Bible Institute, and then uh, pastored in rural communities all over the state of Indiana. I think I can get them all. <laughs> uh, Mintone, that's where he met my grandma. She was 18. He was 34 when they got married. It was a little scandalous for the pastor to be dating the, the girl playing the piano, but hey, man, they had a 40-year marriage and sure. had a great worked marriage. Worked out, yeah. Worked out. Worked out really well. I'm grateful that it worked out. Obviously, mm-hmm. I would not be here if it didn't. Uh, but he went to Mentone, then Mount Air, Rensselaer, Noblesville, Auburn, and then Butler. Um, unfortunately, he in 1981, when I was 11, he passed away from cancer. Mm. Uh, he was 74, and that was a, a big, a big hit for an 11-year-old kid coming into you know you kind of remember that 11 like what life's like at that point, and you lose, you know, a guy that was with you every single day. Mm-hmm. But my grandpa played a major, major role in my life. And I would remember watching my grandpa pray constantly. Uh, He was a man of deep faith. He was also a very practical man. He loved to build things and to make things. Uh, He loved to garden. I Mm. did not get that gene. (laughs) Not a good gardener, but he was an awesome gardener. Uh, uh, He'd also like have these little things he'd say to me. You know, when I got interested in politics, he'd say, Eric, remember, they put on their pants one leg at a time, just like we do. Yeah. Uh, he'd also say things like, hey, the, 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 gra- the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Right. So in other words, don't get too big for, your, you know, be humble. Uh, he would teach me things like faith without works is dead. You know, so make sure that you put your faith to work and that you're authentic and you live it out. Uh, these are all things when you're a very competitive person. Uh, these are all things, you know, soft answer turns away breath. Grievous mm-hmm. words stir up anger. Sometimes I struggle, you know, as a competitive guy you know, with that. So I think about that all the time. And so, when, you know, my faith, you know, really informs my leadership because it keeps me from just making it about competition and winning and makes it about serving people. Mm. Um, 
how have people reacted to that? How have uh, have they been acceptable uh, acceptable to that? Uh, Very positive. Yeah, yeah. This is this is a um, you know we have all kinds of faiths, right? And you know you have you know the Catholic faith and the the Lutheran faith and Baptist and Protestant and you know all kinds of things. So you know there, there's a wide variety of people that practice in different ways. Uh, but I think the state is is really filled with people that. Uh, value humility, they value authenticity, they value uh, people that know that they you answer to someone outside of yourself, yep, not just yourself. And so, um, and they also value the fact that I don't expect them to think like I do. Mm-hmm. You know, like I understand that reasonable minds differ on a variety of topics. Sure, I always tell people if we agree on twenty out of twenty things, that's a cult. Right, I'm not into that. Like, right. but if we can agree out of sixteen out of twenty, we're in a pretty good place. That that brings me to some divisiveness in, in politics these days it's at a it's at an all-time high um you know listen i grew up in in new york I, i'm a puerto rican italian kid okay we would sit down at the table and we would argue about everything but then we'd still break bread and be able to do it um delve into the shadows of the mind with sleeping dogs a gripping murder mystery starring academy award winner russell crowe now available on digital Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Why do you think that's such a problem these days? Why can't people do that? Why can't people disagree but still be able to come together and try to find common ground and try to push towards a solution? Why do you think it's like that? No, I don't know, but I grew up in the same kind of house you yeah. did. You know, we, we would get home on Sunday from church and we'd have four hours. And my wife, by the way, finally put a kibosh on the four hour <laughs> at Sunday afternoon, you know, debate about politics, religion, everything else in between. I think, you know, for me, um, what I've tried to do to model it is um, be very proactive with people that don't agree with me and develop a personal relationship. So um, sometimes we'll go out to dinner and we won't talk about anything but just how are the kids, how's soccer, how's basketball, Mm -hmm. you know, how's work going. There's a lot of times where I call my friends who don't think in the same way I do, and I don't ask them about anything except for how's life going for you right now? And then they, you know, they give that answer where, you know, it's kind of tough and what does that mean? And then we get in a great conversation about what tough means. Usually it's someone's sick, someone's dying, they're dealing with issues and that connects you. Mm. So if you focus on the things that you disagree on, that divides you. Mm -hmm. But if you focus on the things like all of us want a loving family, all of us want a great education for our kids, all of us want safe roads where there's no potholes. Yep. You know, so if you can focus on the things that you agree on and then be respectful when you disagree, um, I think that's the path forward here. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is that something that maybe pushed you to, to want to do this? When you, big picture? Yeah, I think the big picture is I felt that if you're going to run for governor, and I knew that the, the people that were running, they're friends of mine, that, that you have to have a bold vision for the state. And um, you need to put it in writing. I think that's an expectation that the, the people of Indiana should have for their leaders. Like, you know, does my leader have a vision for where we're going over the next eight to 10 years? Does that vision resonate with me? Is it in writing so that I can think about it and process it and give feedback? And uh, do I believe that, that this person, you know, will, will work their tail off to get it done? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think politics has sort of become about name ID. You know, do I have the name ID? Well, I'm going to win. And, well, that's not compelling. Just winning an election is not compelling. We want, we want leadership. Yeah. And, and so I think that regardless of what the voters decide here in seven months, we already can see that us doing what we're doing, putting a bold vision in writing, is already you know, changing the narrative and changing the conversation. Let's talk about your bold vision, if you will, because you do have some, some interesting um, concepts. Tell, tell, tell the viewers, tell, tell the people listening what those are, some of them that maybe stand out, some of them that are a little bit different from your, the other candidates. Yeah, I, I think it kind of starts with our small towns. The, we call it the restoration of the American village, but in this case, the restoration of the Indiana village. Uh, there's a big hunger right now for options in terms of where do I live? And, uh, and I think there's a hunger for community and for knowing your neighbor and you know, uh, knowing your school teacher and knowing your, your friends. Um, and so we're starting to see the renaissance of wanting, people wanting to live in smaller communities. Uh, now, one of the challenges in our small communities is, is, is there's a lack of housing. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to move to a small community right now, it's very difficult because I don't know, you know, where I can live. Uh, but we also have these beautiful historic buildings that are in most small towns, 80% uninhabitable, but they're completely restorable. And when you restore them ab- about um, most of what you restore will be housing because it's the second, third and fourth story. And then the first story is all about small business, which is the foundation and the greatness of this state and this country is small right. business, Right. So there's this real um, opportunity for us to partner with local leaders who want to restore their community, uh, generally of about somewhere between 5,000 or 2,500 people and 30,000 people. And that's what our Indiana Main Street initiative is all about. It's about, you know, taking 10% of our budget and saying we will work with leaders in these small towns. And, you know, we have a whole program in our book that we have that, that these leaders are reading all over the state of Indiana of how to do it. Uh, and we're just going to go partner with them to make that happen. So that, that's a bold vision. There's nobody in the country right now for the 45 million people that live in small towns all over the United States that has a vision for what to do to, to, to make their life uh, more compelling and have more opportunity over the next 50 years. I think Indiana is going to lead the way in that. Why do you think no other candidate has jumped on something like that before? I, I, I think it's worth asking. Them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I know for me, it's because deep in my DNA, I grew up in a small town. Right. You know, so I, I, I watched the decline of of my small towns when I was growing up. And I'm like, we don't look as leaders. We, we don't have to have it that way. We can like we can dig our heels in and fix it and make life better for the two point six million people that live there. Yeah. So th- those are small towns. We're, we're in Indianapolis right now. I, I know you have some plans for for our city here in Marion County as well. Uh, share some of those. Yeah, when so, it comes to policing. Yes. Um, so one of the things that, that, you know, we've seen is Mason and I have a place here uh, in Indianapolis. And, you know, we, we really saw right away the potholes 
um, and some of the challenges with that. We really saw right away some of you know some of the 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 crime and and you know the foundation of this country is law and order, and we all know and throughout the rest of the state how important you know Indianapolis is to us. It's twenty five percent of the GDP of the state of Indiana. Right. This is an important important you know community for our entire state and all, uh, honestly a lot of us come here and we play like we go to colts games mm-hmm. you know we go to the, the convention center you know we go to basketball games uh we come here and watch our kids you know try to win a state championship sure. uh and i think that is that people around the state of indiana really want this to be a world-class city that beats denver nashville and austin so when you go look at our um our strategy for indianapolis it's really to compete at that level you know, if, if, if they choose to have me as their governor, we're going to come every day uh, trying to work with the private sector and local leaders to make sure that Indianapolis beats Denver, Nashville, and Austin within the next 10 years. How do you do that? Uh, you Nashville, have, I mean, at, you're, you're talking about some serious cities here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you have to have a bold vision. And one of the concerns I have right now, like with Fort Wayne, I'm working on a $1.5 billion planned urban development for downtown Fort Wayne. Downtown Fort Wayne. Mm. Uh, that's the equivalent of an $8 billion strategy, you know, in Indianapolis. Right. And so that's the kind of thinking that we have to have, in my opinion. And, you know, once you get momentum, but this has to be private sector driven. The government has to be a partner to it, but this private sector has to drive it. So one of the things I've been doing is I've been leading with, meeting with local leaders here in Indianapolis is, hey guys, can you start thinking about what is our bold vision you know, uh, for this community in this city that we're going to implement over the next 10 years. Let's brainstorm that together and figure it out. You have worked in the public sector as well. People should know that, right? I mean, right. tell them about your background as far as that goes. Well, when, um, so in 2010, um, I had an opportunity to run for mayor of Fort Wayne. Yep. Uh, John Costas encouraged me to do it um, because we needed a bold vision in Fort Wayne. And that got me engaged in politics. And I met this guy named Mike Pence. Mike becomes the governor a year and a half later and um, gave me the privilege, and it was a privilege, Phil, of, of being the lead salesman and negotiator for the state of Indiana and, and something called the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, we, IEDC. Mm-hmm. And so I was president of the IEDC for two and a half years, and I promised Mike that I would go to all 92 counties. And that's really where I began to see the opportunity for growth throughout all all of our communities and the need, frankly, for some of these communities to, to have a bold vision for them right. um, and beginning to meet you know, leaders. So that was between 13 and 15. And then between 15 and 18 is when Fort Wayne, when I went back home to be with my wife and four soon to be five children, mm-hmm. uh, that's when we, they asked me to come and take what I learned around the country and take Fort Wayne to a nationally recognized economy. So I was the, the president uh, and CEO of Greater Fort Wayne, Inc., uh, and that's where we did the $650 million bold vision for Fort Wayne that led to going from not ranked in 2015 to in 2023 being ranked the 34th best place to live in the United States and the number one city to live in in Indiana. And I will tell you, Phil, without a doubt, Terre Haute, Richmond, Muncie, Marion, Anderson, all these communities like that in these regions want to go on that ride and they deserve to go on that ride. We just have to empower the local leaders have a bold vision, and we can get there. You still stay in contact with the former former governor, former vice president? I, I do. From time to time, we're able to text or call, uh, mostly just words of encouragement and uh, prayers, but uh, he's pretty busy. Yeah, I would say. <laughs> How do you think he did on the debate stage last night? 
you know, I honestly, I, I, I've just got to, I fell asleep at nine thirty. Sure. I mean, yeah. what people don't realize, um, when you're running for governor is how relentless it is. You're up at seven, six thirty, five, you know, six, you're at your first breakfast by seven thirty, Uh, and you don't generally get done till eight thirty, nine o'clock at night. Yeah. And then by the time I'm done, if I, if I go in and sit down, I'm asleep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was asleep. You got your own. You, you got your own uh, debates coming up here in a little we while do. to worry we about. Um, you have five kids. I mean, how's that working out with with being so uh, so busy? Our five kids are twenty two to seventeen. Yeah. So um, about six years ago, we um, had the privilege of having welcome from Rwanda come into our family, uh, and it has been an absolute joy. Uh, my sister lives in South Africa. She had a friend that had met welcome in Rwanda and, and said that she could really benefit from uh, education in the United States. And we were just blessed. My wife said, Eric, she sat me down one night and said, Eric, I think we should, and I feel called to do this. And so we've, we've had the joy of having welcome in our family now for six years. Uh, and, and it's been such a privilege, uh, to, she called us mom and dad from day three. It was unbelievable. Uh, and she has parents back in Rwanda. So we kind of feel like it's a co-parenting situation, but uh, she's just an amazing person. She has a 10,000 watt smile. She lights up a room. Uh, but our kids, we're fortunate because they're 22 to 17. They're all out of high school now. Uh, four of them are in college. Mm. Uh, actually, one graduated. He's now married. Uh, and so uh, they have their lives they're living and uh, and they're very encouraging. But, you know, fortunately, it gives us a lot of freedom and flexibility. Adoption is something very close to your heart. Yes. And you have uh, a plan for that as well. Yes. Uh, so welcome coming into our family it was an adoption by choice. Uh, we, we don't call it adoption by paperwork, mm-hmm. you know, but we viewed it as an adoption. And, and then we have uh, many friends in our church and in our friend group that have adopted, and we've really walked through the challenges of adoption with them. Not just the cost of the upfront cost, which is significant sometimes, but it's the after cost, you know, some of the things that you didn't know uh, that, you know, start costing ten, fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 a year yeah. uh, for these families. And, and, you know, a lot of families, you know, that's a significant chunk of their income. Sure. And so as we kind of viewed this, um, you know, we're ardently pro-life and, and, and we, um, you know, really believe that's a human rights issue, not just a religious issue, but we also felt it was important to be pro mother, family and child. And we started thinking of, and I came up one day and I said, you know, I think, we got to look at zero cost adoption, a fund that would help families not just pay for adoption, but pay for this aftercare. Because as we did our homework, we have 13,000 kids in foster care that would love to be part of a loving home, whether they're put back with their parents or they're adopted. Uh, And so this adoption fund has just um, been so exciting for so many people. Um, I've given speeches for years all over the state of Indiana I've never really had people come up and cry after a speech until zero cost adoption. Wow. It really hits people because they either have been adopted or they are adopting. They've experienced the challenges of it. And just the fact that, you know, we have a plan to help these families love on these kids and serve these kids. I think it has people so excited. How do you pay for that? So we, we're actually kind of thinking about paying for it much like the SGO, the, the, the school voucher system in which if you, um, if you put money into the adoption fund, 50% of that would be, um, would be a tax credit to your state tax, t- state income taxes. Mm. Uh, and then the other 50% can be um, federally written off, which means that for every dollar that you put into the adoption fund costs you 26 cents. Mm. 
And people love that because now and they know that they're, the money that they're putting in to, you know, to that fund is helping families, helping children, helping the adoption cost. Uh, and they're, they're just really excited. And it gives us a lot of flexibility, too, as well with how we fund it. Education, your thoughts on the current state of education these days? It's, it's a, very, a big topic. Very challenging, yes. uh, but very exciting. Um, you know, I, I'm really a big believer in parental choice. I think it's really healthy and really good for parents to have choice and to have competition. Uh, even um, my public school friends uh, have acknowledged that the competition has made them better. And, and they're excited about it, and, and, and it's made education better. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in transparency and accountability. Um, a lot of parents have expressed a lot of concern about the lack of transparency uh, in education, so I think that's gonna be an important issue. Um, I think you may have saw recently where I came out and, and, and called for us to, to reconsider the consolidation of schools. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of parents are liking a smaller environment today. Uh, yes, we might be able to save a few dollars if we consolidated, but at what expense, you know, over the long run with community pride and, uh, and, and schools are one of the most important institutions for a community and being able to get to school, walk to school, be at school with people that, you know, with teachers that, you know, and love, these are becoming more and more important to parents. How do you think that benefits the inner city? I, well, I think it's this, you know the same there. It's 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 trying to create a system in which you have enough options and flexibility that these kids can find their niche. Like I had a son that wasn't much of a reader, but he was super talented with hands-on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had another son that was a brilliant reader. Same family, same sure background, but totally two different total needs. And I think the more that we have uh, options for these kids, whether in inner cities or even our small towns, uh, the better that they learn. Uh, I think reading and the science of reading that we're seeing coming out of like Marion University and some of the things they're doing is going to be really critical. Uh, And that's why we're promoting early childhood education for four-year-olds and really promoting the importance of reading early uh, and uh, making sure that they have the best opportunity to be successful. We all know that, you know, the faster and more efficiently you can read uh, and the, the better your chances of graduating. Yeah the better your chances of getting um, a job that's meaningful, meaningful work. Uh, and then I think there's a lot of things we can do as for our juniors and seniors to get them more exposure and a bigger vision. Uh, I was with Tom Kelly in Fort Wayne, and he was showing me what they're doing uh, in, in a school in Fort Wayne for really giving kids a vision for welding and different jobs. Mm-hmm. And it was phenomenal. Yeah. And these are the kind of great ideas that people are coming up with all over the state of Indiana that, that we have to really – be creative and flexible and just think differently about, you know, traditional education. How do you think Governor Holcomb has done over the years? You know, I, that is not for, you know, sure. me to, you know, me to, to, to think much about. Well, let me rephrase it like this. What would you do differently? Well, I think what our bold vision is painting what we think the next 10 years looks like. Yeah. And so, you know, from my point of view, and I'm not trying to dodge the question. No, I'm sure. Just, I get it. You know, the, 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 the gifted leaders don't really focus on what they can't control. You know, but the, from this day forward is what we can influence and fix. Yep. So what we're really focused on is trying to surround ourselves with, you know, gifted leaders that are focused on how do we make sure that our small towns are successful over the next 10 years, like super successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we make sure that our kids and grandkids have an option to live in those small towns with really good jobs that they love and a community they can be passionate about with high community pride? I literally just had a conversation 
about something similar last night with a friend of mine. We were talking about pointing blame, and it seems like it, it, whether it be politics or, or sports or education, people always want to point blame. And my take, and I'm just speaking freely, is who cares who's to blame? All you got to do is figure out a way to move forward. Why do you think in today's world, society, politics, sports, education, why do you think we're, we're so quick to just point fingers instead of saying, the buck stops with me and we're going to move, we're going to move forward. We're going to worry about the future and not the past. It's, it, it seems like an easy concept in my opinion, but it's, it's very hard to actually put forward, um, which is, gets back to my, my question to you about, about your faith and why you're so outspoken about that. I think the two kind of intertwine your thoughts. No, I agree. I think, you know, there's a lot of leaders that will lead on fear and anger. Yeah. And uh, it they've used that, um, you know, to, you know, for their benefit, you know, to gain power mm-hmm. or status or control. And, and I think that as a leader, you know, we, we really um, we really need to focus on vision and on inspiration and making sure that we create conditions where people can be more successful than they ever thought possible. Uh, there's a lot of benefit and value to work where it gives us dignity. And so I think that um, those are the kind of concepts that I think are the future of really where leaders should go. And uh, that's what we're deeply committed to. Yeah. Uh, Senator Braun has come out and endorsed um, President Trump. Uh, do you want to make an endorsement? Or, and, and your thoughts on him doing that so early? <laughs> well, first of all, I, I do not focus at all on national politics. In fact, I was at a Bible study with my friends, and, and we instituted two new rules. One was no more talking about health care issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are, by the way, older gentlemen. Yep. No more talking about health care issues. And number two, no more talking about federal politics. <laughs> uh, because I really believe, with all my heart, that we're going to solve our problems from the grassroots and leaders up, not Washington, D.C. and the big cities down. You know, it's going to be the leaders in these small towns and, and, and the leaders, and in, even in Indianapolis, the local leaders, along with the, your local government officials and your local pastors and your, and your, and your local education leaders, uh, that are going to really solve the, some of the challenges that we experience in America. So I think very little about, you know, who's going to be um, the president of the United States. I think that's the decision that the voters of the United States have to decide. Mm-hmm. That's, on, that's for them to decide. Um, I'm thinking almost exclusively about how do we have a bold vision as a governor and how do we, as 50 governors, have relationships with each other to experiment and to lead effectively. And then how do I have relationships with local leaders all over the state of Indiana to make sure that we're, we're leading with excellence here at the local level? We've had a number of rankings that came out over the past couple of months and something that we've actually seen a lot of uh, people attracted to and clicking on on our website. It's it, when it comes to Indiana, livability wise, uh, we don't rank very highly on certain things. How do we change those specifically? You said healthcare and and uh, I mean, affordability, we do well, but when it comes to social issues, it seems like it's, it, we're not there. Um, have you seen those? And uh, how do you plan on changing those? Yeah, so at I, least the national perception of those. Yeah, I, look, I, the whole Midwest, right, has been called a Rust Belt for now, how many years, yeah. Phil? Yeah, forever. Forever. Yeah. And it's really a brilliant marketing scheme, frankly, from the South, who call themselves the Sun Belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I love about what we're doing, whether it's in Fort Wayne or Valparaiso or Franklin, as we restore these communities, we're losing and will lose that reputation of a Rust Belt. And when that happens, look out. Because Indiana is in the middle of everyone. And, and we, uh, 
most of the population in the United States is within a Wednesday, one day or less drive of here. Yeah. And um, I firmly, I've said this on the campaign trail that the Midwest needs to make a comeback. And this is the state that will lead the Midwest. And now when I talk about Midwest, I'm talking about Illinois, mm -hmm. Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, Ohio, yep. Kentucky, yep. those five states. 55 million souls live in those five states, right? This is the state with our leadership and our vision that will lead the Midwest back to pro, you know, prominence where America needs it to be. Um, you know, we're almost out of time. Uh, is there anything else that maybe you want our, our listeners to, to know about you or, or anything that maybe I didn't ask? I, I, the floor is yours, sir. Well, you know, I, I've asked people, you know, people ask me all the time, hey, what can I do? And, and um, you know, so I'm going to start with this. I, I, I really believe it's super important for people to pray for our leaders, not just for me, not just for Macy. They'd say they pray, but pray for uh, pray for wisdom, pray for a servant's heart. You know, we're, we're all imperfect. You know, we all make mistakes. We all have good days and bad days uh, and and we all get tired, you know, in, in, in the process. And so. Um, I, I think, you know, that's something that if you're someone who does pray, uh, I, I, I really think that's an important thing. Uh, but outside of that, I, I think um, faith without works is dead. Uh, I, we need people to roll up their sleeves and get to work. Mm -hmm. uh, no matter what size your community, you all have talents and can contribute. And we need those contributions uh, and then have a bold vision for your community. Um, whatever your position is, whatever your influence is. Leadership isn't just about position, Phil. It's about influence. Yeah. And whatever your influence is, let's have a bold vision for the Auburns, the Butlers, you know, the, the, the Bedfords, you know, the, these communities. Let's have a bold vision for them. And let's say, hey, we're going to roll up our sleeves, get to work, have a bold vision. Uh, I think if, if we all do those three things and then we channel the energy of our leadership and the state as a great partner to those leaders, uh, this is – we're going to be a state that really sets the course for what other states will want to be and what we'll do. And I, I really believe this. I think within the next 10 years, we'll be a top five state in the nation. Oh, well, fingers crossed, right? Eric Doden, thank you so much for coming on with us. We really appreciate it. We would love to have you back on in the future, if you don't mind. I would enjoy that. Thanks, Phil. This has been fantastic. This has been fun. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. From Wish TV, this is All Indiana Politics Podcast with Phil Sanchez. Unfiltered, in-depth, non-partisan coverage, exclusive interviews with Indiana's political leaders. Subscribe to this podcast and listen weekly here on the All Indiana Podcast Network. And be sure to discover even more great podcasts at allindianapodcastnetwork.com.